0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Everyday Warrior Podcast, I'm Kelly, your host. It's been a real challenge trying to work out a way to record the podcast with Ayaka Suzuki, already known as Faith. I have to apologize, the audio on my side won't be great as I couldn't isolate my audio file any further. It's taken us so many tries, I didn't really want to put Faith another, through another podcast schedule and just really want to post it up anyway. You'll be able to hear Faith clearly, just on my side will be a little bit more mumbled. I figured her part's a lot more important anyway. So back to it, Faith to me is a great athlete. She's extremely humble and you're gonna hear that. She downplays it during the interview on what she's achieved, but she's mostly a podium finisher. In the podcast, she shares how she started competing in triathlons, her strategy prior to the big race, the training she does during the race and and what she does when she hits the pain cave also maintaining fitness during the off season i've posted up a write-up on the website with her strategies as well as her race resume it's impressive how often she's competing it's every couple of weeks uh, the length of her races are long and um, and how she maintains good recovery so i hope you enjoy it you do tons of triathlons races it's pretty much every couple of weeks but not only that, you go on the podium most of the time or all the time. So kind of walk me back to the start. I mean, when did you kind of start thinking, okay, this is going to be my thing or I'm really good. I'm going to be good at it. Um, did you ever even think that you were going to be doing this?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I I knew that from, from maybe about around high school, I was pretty fairly average at running, and I, I'd always had an interest in sports, but I hadn't really considered myself to be particularly, um, above average or even really good, um, so high school, you know, you, you do your, your typical cross-country track, what have you, um, and then in college, I kind of fell off the, the wagon a little bit, um, especially when I got a car. I lived in Texas, and so it, it, fitness, you know, obviously you want to look good, but fitness wasn't really a priority when I was in college. Um and then even after college, when I, when I started working, I was just so busy that it, it just completely fell off the radar. Um, I think I really got back into fitness and, and started thinking, wow, I, I might have a little bit of, of talent here, um, is when I actually got ghosted uh, by a guy and uh, and i it's it's one of those those weird things, right? Um, something bad happens to you, and so you find yourself running in the middle of the night just to kind of take your mind off of things.
2: Um, right, but there's got to be a couple of steps from being ghosted to just winning track
1: so. <laughs> Yeah, so that was, uh, I would say that was 2014 ish um, or 2013. Um, so I started with like a 5K, you know, um, and then I, I came in like second in my age group. My time then wasn't spectacular, um, and so, but it was still enough to kind of give you that ego boost, right? Um,
2: well, i will never ever come
1: second in any races. <laughs> I come second from last. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, and I think part of part of racing for me is actually also kind of being smart about what you're racing. Um, it's not that I don't. It's it's not that I do all you know small local community races. Uh, but but sometimes I do throw in what I would call like a B race or a C race because it. It ensures that, uh, you know, kind of where your, your fitness level is at and it's good practice for any kind of what we call an A race in triathlon where it's, it's your big race, right. That you're, that you're really just gearing up for. Um, but yeah,
2: it's just sort of a motivation to get to the A race as well.
1: Yes. And it's, it's, it should definitely, you don't want to start your season, um, you know, boom, right away with an A race because you want to make sure you have your nutrition right, uh, you know, you have your your wetsuit problems figured out, and so it's, it's kind of a trial run. You might have one or two. Um, to be quite honest, this year, uh, I had to roll with the punches because t- two of my races, my first B and C race, <laughs> were canceled <laughs> And okay. so I did immediately go off into my a race, and it was it was not pretty um that that was a race I really struggled with and i and I had to kind of mainstream adjust and and really think about, okay, what are we trying to accomplish here today because clearly you know my plan uh that I came here with is not going to work, and so kind of mentally readjusting yourself so that Uh, you aren't, you know, you don't become a, a ball of tears, basically.
2: So when you say a B or C race versus the A race, what would the main difference be? Would it be the length of time or the types of races?
1: Um, a, a little bit of both. So I would usually in a triathlon, um, my A race is something that I'm really looking forward to, uh, to get a, a good time. You know, I've probably studied what other people uh, have, have, have timed in in my age group, um, really studied the course and, and figured that this is something I want to challenge myself to. And uh, so how do I, you know, if there's going to be a lot of hills, then my B or C race are, probably need to have some kind of hills, not just a flat course. Um, and so kind of having this plan strategically so that uh, your your muscles and, you know, everything is ready for the A-race and, and what you're expecting out of it, whether it's hills or, or choppy waters or just really hot um, and humid weather. Okay. So it's
2: kind of getting used to it.
1: Yeah, kind of acclimating yourself to the conditions um, that's at least the ideal scenario, right? So it's not always okay. going to work out, uh, but that is what I had planned. You know, I, I had planned for my A-race uh, this, this year was uh, Hawaii, the Half Ironman in Hawaii. And then I have another one coming up next week in, in Jeju, Korea. And both of them are, are going to be hot and humid and, um, and, and there's really no escaping that. And so I had planned okay. my B and C race, uh, to be down South in, uh, in Okinawa because yeah. those, those places are humid, it's hot. And, uh, and it's, it's obviously a lot hotter sooner, um, you know, starting from March, April than it is in, in, in mainland Japan where I am. Yeah. And so, okay. Mm-hmm. So, kind of going back a little bit, because so you started 2014, 2014, yes. and then what happened? Yeah, yeah. So, I, I apologize. I, I got a, a little bit off kilter. Yeah,
2: that's all
1: right. Yeah,
3: so I think we were, the last time uh, I had mentioned, you know, this guy had ghosted me, and I started taking part in the 5Ks, um, and then, you know, fell off the bandwagon um, a little bit again during grad school. Yeah. Uh, and then I moved to Beijing, and, and I think the cool thing about, uh, about moves, and, and perhaps this is especially for me, because I'm just about to turn 30, and I've moved internationally 10 times, so that's an average of an international move once every three years. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the beauties of that is you can kind of reinvent yourself. You don't want to take too many liberties. But you can also, you know, what the one thing that I did when I went to Beijing was I made sure that everybody knew that there was going that Faith is going to be at the gym. She's going to run. And So you made that
2: you made yourself accountable. Yeah,
3: and, and made sure that everybody knew that, you know, she will do her work. But there is a, a little slot of time in her, in almost every other day at least, where she's going to work out. She might come back from the gym, but she—you have to give her that two hours to let her do her thing. And okay. so that was one thing that I, I really es- established from the beginning. Um, okay. And it's actually something that I also continued to establish uh, two years later when I moved to Singapore. And and began another new um, place of employment, and so I think that's something. Uh, obviously, not everybody has the liberty or, or the luxury to do that to quote unquote reinvent yourself. Um, but kind of putting that into place, and and like you said, holding yourself accountable, um, and and letting letting others know that this is this is part of you. That's also really important. Um, and it, is, it does become a part of your identity, right? Uh, whether it's, yeah. it's just running or, or uh, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to say just running, <laughs> whether it's running or CrossFit or, you know, I, I don't know, obstacle course, racing, triathlon. A lot of people have something that they do feel passionate about and attached to, and so I think it's important to let that um, really, you know, nurture itself and, and pursue it so that you can also grow not just, uh, you know, physically for your health, but also for your, you know, <laughs> emotional and mental well-being. Oh, oh,
1: definitely.
2: Yeah. What about the, um, so, so then what happens? So oh, yeah. So kind of like your, or kind of, kind of, you know, approximate time when you decided, okay, I'm going to be doing this on a more serious note?
3: I think um, in Beijing, I, I didn't participate in, in very many races. I, I was starting to research um, races and, and, you know, half marathons especially, and so, I would have to, because uh, Beijing being the way it was uh, in in 2014 or so, or 2012, uh, the air pollution was really bad. And yeah. so, there were a lot of races that, that ultimately I chose not to do uh, because the air pollution was so bad. Um, and so, it was kind of a blessing when I came to Singapore, and there are just so many races. I mean, there's got to be a race every weekend, in Singapore, and so, country. yeah, and, and the great thing about Singapore, too, is, is most of these races are, are pretty accessible, um, and, you know, it might, yes, it might take a, a $40 cab ride, but in the big picture of things, uh, it, and, and clearly this isn't the case for everyone, but in the big picture of things for me, it wasn't that bad, And so I just threw myself into the race circuit, um, running, uh, mainly 10 Ks, uh, but also trying out a lot of different obstacle course races, a couple of half marathons and, and in between distances, like the, the shape run, which is a 15 K back then. Um, and I just found myself kind of surprisingly, uh, being on the podium and it, it depended kind of on, on who shows up. After a while, you, you notice the familiar faces. Um, and so it's a, it's a little bit of luck. It's a little bit of strategic planning. Um, and it's a little bit of just Singapore is such a small country that your competition is also a little bit limited. So I do think that the, some of the results that you're seeing is, you know, I, I don't want to downplay it but it is almost deceiving because the the pool that you're looking at is is already so small um okay. and so that said i think it it did a uh, it did kind of tune me in on, on what my abilities were and, uh, and okay. what I could do to improve. And so, you know, if I were to race abroad or like, uh, what happened recently is I moved to Japan and, you know, I'm exposed to more, uh, uh to more people, to more runners, to a bigger pool of women, to whether they're in my age group or, or not, um, you you've you realize, wow, like, you know, it's a little bit more difficult to podium. Um, but depending on the race, it, it can be a little bit easier. And so, again, kind of that, that strategic planning. It isn't that I'm chasing the podium, uh, but, but there is a little bit of, of my personal kind of attraction to smaller races. Uh, the big-time races, they can get a little bit stressful Um, A lot of races in Japan, they're on a lottery based system. So you're not guaranteed a slot. Um, And so you know, that can it's like, when it's all up in the air, it can be difficult to plan your your race schedule. And so I try to go for races where my my entry is, is guaranteed after I put in my credit card information.
2: Right. What about in terms of, you know, you kept talking about strategic planning. Mm -hmm. What exactly are you talking about or referring to during the race or pre-race?
3: Okay. So, so from my understanding, um, you mean like beyond just the strategic planning of actually choosing the race, correct? Yes. Okay. Uh, strategic planning for, so, so say, let's pretend that I've, I've, uh, signed up for a race. I know what I'm getting myself into. I think, um, my general agenda is usually not to focus just on that one race. Uh, a lot of these races are buildups to the next race. And so, uh, unless it's already kind of towards the tail end of the season, uh, I might just throw myself into a half marathon and just really gun it. Uh, but I do want to be strategic in the sense of, I don't want to hurt myself. And I think I do a really good job actually, um, of not hurting myself. I know when to, to kind of rein it in, uh, if I need to slow down. And so having that kind of, um, perhaps that, that, uh, what what would we call it? I think it was called like sports intelligence or something. It's kind of like emotional intelligence. I call it self-love, but Self-Love. I guess it's sports intelligence in your world. Being being in tune <laughs> with your body, right? Um, that's also part of kind of oh, strategic exactly. planning. Yeah. Um, you know, having an if if something feels a little tweaked or you know, you have a niggling pain, uh, it's not to say that I go straight to the physio or, or a medical professional, but I, I try to taper that in, right? Okay, so if this is hurting, then maybe I'll do something else. And that can be difficult during a race, um, but it's a lot more difficult if you overdo it and then you can't, you're out for the rest of the season or, or for the next couple of weeks. And yeah. so... Um, Kind of looping back to the, the strategic planning, um, you know doing the the workouts that that are are going to help me um, for whatever goal I have and I think it's important that I you know you do set some goals no matter what race you're looking at um, and one thing too and I haven't mentioned this yet is I do have a, a coach that I work with and so he's a triathlon coach. And so we also, you know, two has is better than one. We also kind of have a have a discussion, you know, why? Okay, so that we're signed up for this race, which may or may not be a surprise to the coach. Um, you know, what do we want to get out of it? Do we want it to be a? To, do we want it to be a PR race where it's at? the tail end of the season um and are we feeling top like tip top you know just ready to really gun it and and go for gold or is this something that we're using to train for and hope that you know it acclimates your body to to that to a certain rhythm or pace that we're looking for at a, at a different race in the future
2: do you often feel that the goals that you set come to fruition
3: Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's difficult
2: because They're yeah, micro goals and they're also you know the larger goal, like you say. So there's like you know the ongoing goal while while you're at it at a specific uh, during the race itself, and mm-hmm. then there's like the end of the race where you want to achieve.
3: Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I think with triathlon especially for a run, I found that it's uh, it's usually easier to to achieve that goal, but there there's just uh there's so many factors and and I don't want to make excuses for myself either, but you know, uh, for example, some of these races, these ten K races in, in uh in Singapore were not measured correctly and so sometimes <laughs> They're they're short a half kilometer, which makes quite a big difference.
2: Oh uh,
3: yeah. Yeah, and so when things like that happen, you're kind of like, well, I guess technically I achieved my goal, but also technically it was 500 meters short. So does that mean okay. I? I'll, I'll sign up for that race. <laughs> <laughs> and then you know sometimes uh, you have other other kind of. Uh, Things that are out of your control. Maybe the the running paths were really narrow and it was bottlenecked. Um, um, with a triathlon, all of a sudden you realize that the, the bike course is really windy, um, right. and and that's not some those aren't conditions that you can really mimic uh, in training. And so that can be, you know, that was when I was in Hawaii and I realized, wow, these winds are really strong and my 45 kilo self just might blow all the way back to Japan. And so having to, to kind of, you know, re-examine your goals and say, okay, you know, right now those, that, that one goal isn't going to work. But let's put another goal. And um, that might be a big picture goal. Like, let's just try to finish this in X hours. Or it might even be smaller goals. Like, okay, between, you know, now and the next kilometer, let's try to get this done at this pace. Right. And so it's, uh, I think you...
2: Always, you're just kind of actively adjusting to it as Correct.
3: Well. Yeah, yeah. You're bang on. You're always kind of having to think and and for for me I don't I don't really want to think too hard during a race um but I think in the back of my mind I have I I need to to kind of establish these goals like constantly it's an ongoing conversation inside my head
2: yeah when when do you plan your season though when is the start of a season for you and when's the end of a season
3: So that's a, that's also a great question. And I'm also still trying to kind of figure it out because, um, because I, I don't want to say I moved to Japan recently, but it's, it's just about been a year. And so I've, I finally started to understand when, uh, the triathlon season is here. And it basically starts in mid April. Um, and then I would say kind of Peters off by, by mid September, um, it's That's not, right. it's not very long here, but, uh, there, there are still races going on until about the first week of November, if you wanted to, but the colder, the, the further down into the year it gets, the further South the races get, because obviously it's a little warmer down South. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so I usually start planning uh, pretty much once the season's over. <laughs> um, I have kind of a, a list of races that I would like to participate in a bucket list, if you will. And um, but I also kind of look at uh different websites online, uh particularly the Iron Man website to see what dates have been announced, where um, and whether the these locations and dates might be feasible um, right and then if they are, you know do I like the course, how will I get there? With a bike from where I am, um, you know, is it is it financially going to be a pretty good return, or am I just going to be out of five um, thousand right. dollars? And so, it it pretty much uh, it pretty much starts when the season ends. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, it's it's really tight between April to September. It's pretty much six months. That's
3: what yeah. you call half the
2: year of of intense competition. Yes. And the rest of the month, you know the rest of the year, you probably have one or two races to keep you in condition, like you say, mentally and physically. But also, just most of the time, training.
3: Yeah, um, and you're right. I think uh, I think what I figured out over here uh, in Japan is that. That triathlon season is certainly on the shorter side, and, and that's where I, I do miss Southeast Asia, where you can pretty much triathlon all year round. Um,
2: it's just hot and humid. It's, it's just
3: hot really hot, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, and so... Okay. so- what happens basically is that a lot of people will, will do the other parts of, uh, of triathlon during the off season, mainly a lot of running. So the running season is basically fall or winter here.
2: Right. And okay. so
3: people will just sign up for marathons, half marathons, you know, all kinds of road races uh, during the colder months. And that's how we keep busy and, and you know, try to stay in shape.
2: Tell me about your training.
3: Um, mm.
2: How is it? Do you plan it? Do you go with the flow? I know you've got a coach, mm-hmm. but I'm sure you kind of put in <laughs> kind of feedback with him, and you guys talk about what you want to do. So, kind of taught me through a macro part of it.
3: Yeah. So currently, I'm uh, I'm still a member of a uh, tri edge, which is a triathlon. Club in uh, and team in Singapore, and it's run by two Kiwis, uh, New Zealand coaches, and they've uh, they've been tremendously helpful in my triathlon journey. And what they do is they'll send me a weekly plan, and exactly what you said earlier, they'll kind of taper it and and make sure that it caters to what I need or have expressed, uh, usually during our weekly meetings, only about 20 minutes long. Um, mainly a catch up to say, you know, maybe this week I was just bang on on the, on the workouts. Uh, I felt really strong on the swims. Um, but you know, maybe the next week it's, I, I was away for business and so I couldn't, I could barely get, you know, half of these workouts done. Um, and so being able to be flexible with the, the workouts is, is pretty important. Um, these weekly plans are, are not easy, especially alone. Um, in Singapore, when you have the support of your teammates, uh, it's a little bit easier. But I've, I've become accustomed to kind of training by myself here. Um, and I use these, uh, these weekly plans to, to put together, uh, what I am going to do every day. And, and honestly, you know, I don't beat myself up if I, if I don't do all of it. And the coaches also know, uh, bless their hearts that we're not, most of us are not going to be able to do 100% of the workouts. And so if anything, they put in a few more workouts uh, than they they think you'll do so so that there's a little bit of flex room where you know if you didn't do that one, it's not going to kill you. Um, right. so I, I like that system, and uh, obviously, I try to do my best to follow it to a T. Uh, but there are, there are some restrictions, uh, you know, there's, there's pool rules here that are very different from what we're used to in, in Singapore. And so some of the, the drills, uh, some of the tools that are mentioned in the, in the swim workout, I can't do here. So I have to improvise. Um, I can't ride as much outside over here because I, because of time restrictions and things like that. And so, uh, all of, almost all of my bike workouts I've I or, or the coach have adjusted uh, for, for an indoor trainer. and then the run the runs are difficult because I get lazy with the runs. <laughs> um, but I try my best to do that and that's just really a matter of, of getting my butt out the door and going for a run.
2: Do you train differently when there's a race coming up?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I do. And, uh, and I, I think this is probably pretty normal. But, uh, you know, a week before a, a half Ironman, for example, I will do what's called a taper. Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like you're kind of tapering off from all of the, the intensity, uh, you'll still do kind of shorter workouts in, in maybe a, a less at a less intense pace. Um, so it doesn't mean that I'm just going to sit on my butt all week before a race, but it means you're, you're still moving your body, um, but not as, as intensely and aggressively as you might, uh, in the weeks leading up to a race. And so in the weeks leading up to a race, you're, you're really, you have a couple of load weeks and then you'll have a rest week. Um kind of like a taper but but still with a little bit more intensity. But the load weeks are, are are tough. Um it's exactly what it sounds like. You you just really load up for a week on and go really heavy on the workouts. Um and and uh I, I wanna say it's called periodization um okay. I, I might have butchered that pronunciation but uh where you, basically you have periods of of loading and a period of of kind of taking a break and uh this is proved to be a pretty good way for me to uh to improve my endurance and really kind of build my my uh my stamina for these half Ironman and, and even Olympic distance races where, you know, you're going, uh, for two and a half hours to five and a half hours, six hours, um, uh, just, you know, swimming, cycling and and running.
2: Yeah, I can imagine. It just sounds extremely tiring just hearing it. (laughs) Um, How do you juggle work though and training? Because I mean, I know I know we kind of mentioned it a little bit, but when you're talking about load week and, and so forth, it sounds a lot more intense than just a one and a half hour or two hour training.
3: Yeah. Um I think I'm I'm really lucky. Uh again, um, you know, first I, I came in here uh, to my new job in Tokyo with the with the kind of understanding from my boss that, that I am a triathlete and I need the time to train. And it works out because he's also a triathlete and the industry that I am employed in is in sports events. And so... Uh, Part of, part of my job kind of requires that I stay in tune with, uh, with kind of the sporting world and keep myself fit. Um, but it can be hard. Uh, sometimes it means going for a workout earlier and, and, you know, explaining as such that you will go for a workout now um, and you'll return to the office. And that might mean that I have to return to the office at 8 to, to right. finish up some work. Um, and that kind of flexibility has been so important for me. Um, and again, yeah. I, I, just want to express how lucky I am in, in a Japanese working environment to have the privilege to do this. I know that, uh, not everybody is, has a, has a, such a flexible schedule. Um, one thing that, that I, I know I'm not perfect with though, is that I, even though I, I do tend to have I usually average about 90 90 minutes to two hours each day um working out is I I don't utilize my time as efficiently I believe as I could. And what I mean by that is that I wish I was a morning person. <laughs> <laughs> uh, unfortunately I just I will be up at five thirty but that that's literally I I'm awake, my eye, eyelids are up and, you know, blinking, uh, but I just can't get out of bed. And so that's something that I'm, I'm, I've been working on for a couple of years now. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, they we talk
2: about that alarm clock, you know, this little alarm clock where you, where you wake up with different types of animal sounds
3: oh. Supposed
2: to help you. And, um, and it does get brighter and brighter, so it
3: wakes, it wakes up kind of as natural as what a sun would be like. Right. Yeah, and so one of the things, uh, and, and you're, you're right about the, the light part, one of the things I actually do, um, and, and obviously it hasn't worked because I still haven't had a morning workout in weeks, um but i do wake up because i don't close the curtains on my windows and over okay, here in sure. over here in japan it gets light at around 4:45 and so it is bright by the time it's 5:30 but i also have such a such an easy time going back to sleep so i'll usually be up for about 15 and 20 minutes kind of having that mental conversation with myself again. Um, you know, telling myself to get out and, you know, go be great. Uh, go for that run. And, and then I just, you yes. Um, but I, but I usually just am a sleeping champion and hence my workouts, uh, are almost exclusively in the evening. Um, That said, on the weekends, I really try to take advantage of a weekend time. Um, The only problem is that in my line of work, sports events, they tend to be on the weekend. (laughs) And so I, I don't have nearly as much weekend time as perhaps the average person. Um and again too though that's why my my work is is as flexible as it is because there's a the understanding that the, our weekends are are usually spent working, um. So it's uh you know you gotta it's a it's a balance trying to figure yeah, things exactly. out yeah.
2: What about what kind of touched a little bit on diet? I mean, we didn't really go into it, and that's something that I want to talk to you about have you changed the way you eat? Um, Cause you're, you're a lot more serious now than what you were before. Mm-hmm. And what do you think, or what have you seen as a big difference if you changed it?
1: That's a, it's a good question. I'm afraid I, I'm afraid I won't have very good advice for others. Unfortunately, um, my, I, I've, and everyone's going to hate me for this, but I I can pretty much eat everything and anything that I want uh, without having to worry too much. Now, part of that, of course, is because I do spend a lot of time working out. Um, but I think that overall, I do tend to be a little bit more cognizant about what I'm into my body, um, I credit. I give a. I give my parents a lot of credit for that. When I was a kid, uh, soda was a treat. Um, uh, they made sure that I was eating my greens, um, and you know, as a child, it all just seems so silly. But as an adult now, I am so thankful. Um, so i I rarely eat
3: out, and uh, eating out for me is is a real. It should be. Not necessarily a treat, but I want to make sure that if I'm eating out, I'm eating something good. It is something that I could not make on my own uh, for for whatever reason. And so... When I'm out, it doesn't mean that I'm going out to eat uh, fried chicken because I,
1: I don't make that at home, but rather I'm looking for a quality cut of meat or um, or you know uh, seasonal vegetables because buying vegetables uh, in, in large quantities when you're a single woman, uh, a lot of those vegetables tend to go bad really quickly. And yeah, exactly. so Yeah. So um I,
2: well, but you do eat hmm. nutrition I mean nutrition is a is a normal part of your diet. So it's not as if you had to shift that.
3: No. What
2: you were eating before was already fuel for you. So it's yeah. not as if you were eating all these junk, junk foods before yeah. and then you had to change it.
1: You're right. You're
2: pretty much doing a healthy cart
3: anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think uh, one thing that that, uh, a lot of people, um, and and perhaps it's a little bit more of a a fad or a trend now, um, prepping your meals, right? Um, I do think it's a lot of... uh, it is a lot of work and you do have to plan, uh, but in case you have, haven't have noticed yet, there's a trend here, planning um, and, and adjusting and, and re- uh, setting up kind of the next thing. Uh, that's really important to me and I think for for this lifestyle is kind of planning ahead. Um, I cook all of my meals, uh, I, again, because I, I don't eat out, otherwise I'd, I'd be really hungry all the time. Um, but I cook my meals, and there's not, it's not to say that all of my meals are gourmet. Um, they're actually quite plain, and perhaps another blessing in disguise is that I could probably eat the same thing almost every day and be a happy camper. Um, you could ask the girls that, that I worked with in, in Singapore, and they can probably let you know what I ate Monday through Friday, no problem. (laughs)
2: Well, I mean, it's like we like we said before. It was just because it's fuel, right? And it's good fuel goes
3: in there, and it helps you do what you need to do. And pretty much, that's it. Correct. And it hasn't, um, it hasn't really failed me. Um, and so I know, you know, there there is a part of me that's interested in in ketosis and the keto diet, and um, you know, the paleo diet, um, but. So far, I've had almost no (laughs) motivation, basically, and so (laughs) right now, I've just... But
2: what about, about, like, the big races? Because let's say you're doing an Olympic distance race, which you have recently done.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Do you eat during it, uh, or do you change your diet before, or, you know, kind of people do Mm carbo-loading? Do you do any of that?
3: I do. Um, Carbo-loading... And, and this is, I, I'm not, I'm no nutritionist, so don't, uh, don't take my words too seriously. But I've, I've heard, and from my experience, uh, carbo loading is a little bit more effective at least two days before the race, so not necessarily just a day before the race. Um, but definitely during the week, the whole week before the race, I'm kind of taking in things like, uh, sweet potatoes, a lot of carbs, um a lot of chicken and and trying to eat less oily, greasy things. Um so that's pretty much all I do during a race. Um and I'm still playing around with the during race nutrition. Um we all know I think uh you know when you're out there for five and a half hours or something uh all of those gels, the sweet things they can they can get kind of nauseating. And so wow, yucky. Oh yeah, and I have heard it's terrible for your teeth anyway. Um one thing I've I've uh, I'm curious about and, and would like to experiment more with in the future is is real food. What I mean by real food is, you know, uh things like potatoes, uh, boiled potatoes of a little bit of salt um right. uh on for the bike ride or even like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich um my my boyfriend swears by just those Ritz uh peanut butter crackers
1: um, right.
3: yeah, yeah. So things like that where, well, I guess the crackers aren't technically real food. It, it's debatable. Um, but yeah, I'd like to, um, in, in Japan, one of the, the biggest things right now, um, or as of re, late is, a what we call yokan, which is kind of this black bean, uh, jelly paste. It's like a very firm jelly um, okay. and you know, it's black bean and it's and quite honestly, it's just not up to my, uh, my palate. So I don't like it, but some people just swear by it. Um, one thing I've, I've recently figured out that I love is, uh, not real food, but it is salt tabs. Uh, because you know, I, I tend to prefer these races out in, and heat and humidity and so keeping that salt um keeping the sodium intake, levels yes. yeah keeping the sodium yeah. intake is, is really important and so I've learned that those salt tabs have really helped and so I think it's an ongoing process um obviously you want to be able to dial it in before the race uh, the whole you know nothing new on race day um and so it's a. Uh, You know, I try to experiment before the race with different gels or, or tabs or, or the boiled potatoes with a little bit of salt, um, peanut butter jelly sandwiches, things like that. Uh, beef jerky did not work out very well, so I don't recommend that. But I don't
2: think it's digestible, just thinking
3: about it. <laughs> exactly. I read it somewhere, and it worked for one person, and I love beef jerky. So I was like, oh, let me try that. <laughs> well, I mean, you can try just peanut butter itself without,
2: without the sandwich.
3: Yeah, that's true. And so, things, yeah, there's it's so many things. easily
2: digestible. digestible
3: yes. Way. Yeah. And that I like. you
2: boosting energy.
3: The only problem is I don't really like peanut butter. <laughs>
2: well, you can get different types of nut butters. Yeah, nut butters, really, yeah, you know, yeah. You like nut butters. There's almonds. There's all sorts of different types you could try out.
3: Yeah, yeah. So, it's a. It's
2: the energy that you really need.
3: need, exactly. And so finding those source of energy, the sodium, um, the electrolytes, it's all, uh, it's all kind of like chemistry, except I failed chemistry in high school. So you can see how well this is going. <laughs>
2: so, well, you doing well. Um, in terms of recovery, I was going to ask you about that, just because you're racing mm-hmm. a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. most marathon runners, professional guys, they probably race once or twice a year. I mean, you're
1: using
2: right, yeah. you know tons. I'm gonna to put it up on the post whoever gets to see it. So, other than sleeping well and you pretty much don't eat any junk food, what else do you really think you do that makes a big difference? Do you sleep like eight hours minimum, for example?
3: Honestly, my my sleep hours are all over the place. Uh, there are some times when I you know get five hours of sleep and I have to rally. Um, I do try to catch up on sleep, um, if that's a thing, on the weekend. Uh, my boyfriend can tell you right now that I am a, a champion napper, um, and so I love napping. I love to sleep. I love to rest. I, I do enjoy recovery, and I do think that's a, that's something that not everybody uh, values or, or finds very important, Um and part of the recovery process, too, I think, is, is, again, kind of being in tune with your body and knowing when you need to kind of lay off and, and pump the brakes a little. If I feel sick, um, I, I feel that I'm usually intelligent enough to know when I need to just not do something, because I've learned from previous experience that, um, you know, if I don't give my time the uh, if I don't give my body the time to recover, and then I go out and bang out a two hour ride, um, ultimately, in the long run, I'm actually just going to feel worse. And it's going to take a longer time to recover. And that's a that's a painful lesson that I think I've had to learn and relearn multiple times.
2: Um, Yeah, it's a lot of common sense though, isn't it? Yeah,
3: yeah, and sometimes I lack that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not saying that you're lacking (laughs) it, but just just because I love sleep and, you know. Yeah, just, you know, talking about pain Mm -hmm. during your races, I'm sure you get into pain caves. Mm. So what do you say to yourself, or do you just get a high from that?
3: Um, I definitely don't get any kind of pleasure or or high from it. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of, and that's it's and it's a question I ask myself too because there have been some really dark times during races, and um, I think you know I, I'm again I just set myself these little goals you know see that light post over there okay once you get there. You can take a break, or okay. you know, okay. Let's just try to get but to ten. When you ten say, pa- okay. say break, you don't
2: exactly stop, right? Because
3: I don't. Exactly <laughs> I, it's a it's an ongoing thing. Okay, well, you got here so you can get to the next light post. Um, okay, right. let's just cross the bridge and see how you feel. And, um, and and there are times when you know when I'm when my quads are just absolutely cramped that I do stop. Uh, but if I actually feel that I am just exhausted, I, I can dig deep and push through it. Um, and right. and I don't know how or where or when, um, but it, it is something that I've learned to to be able to do um, and overcome kind of those really dark moments. Um, but I think... I is that think, when you
2: remember? goals before you actually go into the race and say this is what I need to achieve so when it's very dark you kind of refer back to those goals does that help or is it entirely
3: I'm at, different I think um I think a lot of times I'm just thinking about I want to finish um I want to say that I've actually never DNF'd uh did not finish a race I've never pulled out and so I have had a couple of DNSs where I did not start the race, um, and and maybe you know it's just because I I didn't want to start what I already knew I couldn't finish. But I if I have right. already started something, then I damn well I'm gonna finish it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But again, I think you know you have to be in tune with your body, and so. With all of that said, I think I've never been in a place where I physically felt that I had to pull out. It was all a mental game.
2: Right. So, what do you think? Mm-hmm. All these races you've done, all of these, all of these um, events as well. What is your proudest moment? Ooh. and Your lowest moment.
1: Oh man. Um.
3: I I don't, I don't know if I would say necessarily that that's a great question. And I, and I feel like I I could have some different answers um, had I, if I were to have, be able to give it more thought, like say overnight. Um, But I I guess referring back to kind of uh, the most recent experience would be uh, what I was proud of myself for, for sharing a race And and what I mean by that is I raced for the first time a half Ironman with my boyfriend and I was able to catch up with him on the very last mile of this half Ironman. So that means, you know, about 113 kilometers in, I saw my boyfriend um, and I, I realized that we could finish together. But he was okay. cramping really badly. And so he was kind of hobbling and telling me to just go um, because, okay. because you didn't
0: leave him behind,
3: though. I didn't leave him behind. And, and, I, and I was proud of myself. I was proud of <laughs> myself. My Tell me
2: <laughs> my bragging rights
1: for the rest of my life. <laughs> Because even during that time, um, I, I was thinking like, yes, I could go and I could save about three minutes right now because he was really struggling and I was, I was on, I was running on adrenaline. I knew I could pretty much finish it in. Um, but I was proud of myself because a lot of these, uh, races I do by myself, um, I, I've. I, I I don't want to say I'm selfish, but I am an only child, and so I'm very accustomed to doing things at my pace um right. and so for me it is the honorable thing. I did an honorable thing, and I'm proud of myself for that for not being selfish um and I'm also <laughs> proud of myself um because we got some amazing finisher line photos, finishing line photos, so Okay. Um so that I was
2: listened to Instagram so that that's worthy. Yeah.
1: So so that was uh that was a proud moment for me pretty recently. Um now everybody's going to think I'm really selfish, but <laughs> No. <laughs> okay. I
2: think it's a contrary I think you know <laughs> the fact that you would have and but you didn't. I did not. That just speaks Yeah. yeah. You just it speaks volume.
1: I wanted to share the moment because it, it we had gone through you know all kinds of hoops and hurdles to get there and so it was a good it was a good feeling um, Great. Right. what was the other question sorry the
2: lowest moment you
1: had ah, the lowest moment oh goodness gracious uh, i i've had a, a lot of low moments when uh when i first moved to japan I wasn't sure if I would be able to really continue triathlon. Um, and that's because in, in Singapore, training is quite easy. You can do it all year round. You have good access to pools. Um, you know, you can do a round-the-islands bike ride on the weekend. You can go to Bintan. You have access to all kinds of races. Everything's in English. Um <laughs> And, uh, and there's no, there's not as many silly rules about, um, what you can do or where or, or things like that, um, in regards to, to pool usage and and such, uh, registering for races. Um, and so it was really difficult for me, I think, uh, to get acclimated and, and there were some dark moments when I, I felt like I I didn't want to do it anymore, um, because the hurdles were so high. Uh, you know, I had no team. I had no, no real triathlon buddies, uh, to ask questions, uh, to lean on for advice. And, and that was something that I had somewhat, uh, taken for granted when I lived in Singapore and had triage and two certified coaches. So that was a, that was really difficult for, for, I would say a good three months or so. Um, I didn't, I didn't really know if I could continue doing triathlon and also because I was still new and, and, and am still new to the sport. Um, so I think that was a dark moment in my, my, uh, so far very short triathlon career. Um, races, all kinds of dark moments. <laughs> you just got to dig deep.
2: Well, tell me about RMN 70.3. You've just been—you were invited recently. How uh, significant is
1: that? Uh, it's actually not that significant. Um, it oh. was a—it was a goal. <laughs> um, so basically, what happens is everybody knows. Well, a lot of people know about Kona, which is your full Ironman World Championship. That doesn't change location at all. It is always in Kona. That is, you know, the the. The race. Um, and I've never done a full Ironman yet. Uh, I have my eyes set on one in, in the future, just not uh, in the near future. I know I'll get there. Uh, I know I'll do it. But just uh, when is, is is not really planned. Um, the half Ironman, the 70.3 championship, changes continents every year. And so, last year, it was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, in North America. This year, it's in South Africa. And then, okay. next year, it'll be in Nice, France. And then, the year after that, it'll be in either Australia or New Zealand. So, it keeps things a little bit exciting, um, and it gives uh, the top age groupers a chance to to kind of go up against each other and so at every half ironman race around the world there's about 20 to 50 slots or or spaces uh divided by age group uh proportional to each age group and these uh slots are given away to the top uh athletes of each age group and gender Oh, so it is significant it's not it's not a, you know, you just being humble about it. No, no, no. I, I am being humble because uh, what happens is after, if the first place person doesn't want the slot or already has a slot, um, then it rolls down. And so sometimes that can roll down to, to the double digits, uh, especially late in the season. Um, now...
2: Yeah, but it still kind of sounds like a, probably a race B to get to a race A.
1: That's or, true. Yeah. yeah and, right, and it and can be
2: the caliber of competitors that you're looking for.
1: Yes, definitely. And, um, and it is definitely a, an a race, uh, if you know, and have advanced notice, uh, that you're going to worlds, right. Um, cause okay. they're, they're still giving out slots now. Um, which is what happened to me basically is that, uh, when, with, with all of these world championships, there's always um, extra spaces, you know, spaces that didn't get filled at different races um, or spaces that, that just, they just have because they need more warm bodies. And so this invitation is actually an initiative uh, by Women for Tri, which is an Ironman um, sponsored organization that encourages women to uh, participate in more triathlons. That's an important movement and organization uh, that, I, that I really uh, back and, and support uh, because women in triathlon generally make up only about 20 to 30% at every race. And so that means that Women for Tri, what they do uh, to encourage women is they give out grants for triathlon clubs to increase uh, the number of women in their club um, and they they do all kinds of meetups and uh, kind of these kind of social get-togethers so that women uh, can feel that they are not alone in the triathlon journey and that they can talk to other women. Um, like a lot of other kind of endurance sports, it can be a little bit lonely when you're a woman uh, surrounded yeah. by all these very fit men. Um and and it's also great because they're all fit. Well, you I'm did kidding. meet your boyfriend, though. So. I did. Um, and so okay, I. so are you going? Are you going to this? I'm not going. Um, I'm not going, and this is actually uh, it was a goal um to go to South Africa, but I'm at a place where uh, there's a lot of things going on in my life right now, including my boyfriend um moving to Japan. Um, I've already done two half Ironmans this year um, and I'm actually looking to get a new bike um, and some other new toys uh, because I am still somewhat new to the triathlon journey. There's a couple of things, items, uh, triathlons a very expensive sport uh, that I would like to purchase that I feel will uh, help me to kind of improve my performance and so I would like to have another year basically uh to kind of get ready for a potential uh qualifier or invitation to Worlds. I'm not I'm uh it sounds like like it sounds very disappointing I know um but I'm actually really happy I I just think
2: that you've got you've got a goal in mind and So
1: would that be your
2: ultimate goal to go
1: championship? Yeah, that was my goal this year for this season. And, um, I didn't, I technically didn't qualify, but I, I still know that I am, um, one of the top age groupers. And so it's a good feeling to know that, um you know it it was something that i technically did achieve i, I will check that off my box maybe with a little asterisk on the side um but for next year um i I'm, I'm really looking forward to qualifying um out of my own performance uh for next year's championship in in france great I mean, I look forward to seeing all of it and uh, being part of that journey. Thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm hoping it'll be. It'll all work out. But you know, I'm also. I think you part of the the journey is, is being able to
3: to accept anything that is thrown at you, whether it's you know life or a baby. I'm just kidding. No babies. <laughs> <laughs>